Welcome to Travels in a Mathematical World, a podcast from the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications, the IMA. My name is Peter Rowlett, and I'm University Liaison Officer for the IMA, which means it's my job to promote the IMA to students in universities. This is episode two. Uh, two is prime, of course, and is the only even prime number. Okay, this week is Maths History Week on the podcast, and we're going to hear from Nolan Bradshaw of the University of Greenwich and the British Society for the History of Mathematics. Nolan's going to tell us some of the history of Newton and Leibniz. As you may know, Sir Isaac Newton and Gottfried von Leibniz are credited with having discovered the calculus. Obviously, it is not that simple, as many people had done a lot of work before them, notably Barrow and Fermat. Indeed, Newton himself says in a letter to Robert Hooke, dated 15th of February 1676, If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Newton was born in Lincolnshire in 1643. He was brought up by his mother and stepfather as his own father had died just before he was born. And accounts suggest that he did not have a happy childhood. In fact, at the age of 19, he listed his greatest sins, and one of them was threatening my father and mother Smith to burn them and the house over them. As with many mathematical geniuses, Newton seemed to make no attempt to excel at school, and was indeed taken out of school until an uncle persuaded Newton's mother that he should be prepared for entry to university. It seems to be the attention of a certain Mr. Stokes, who was the headmaster at the Free Grammar School in Grantham, that began finally to instill a desire of learning in Newton. Newton gained entry to Trinity College, Cambridge, to study law in 1661, and it wasn't until two years later that he took up reading mathematical texts. He graduated in 1665 and had to return to Lincolnshire for two years to escape the bubonic plague. It was here, during this time, that he began his work in mathematics that would prepare the ground for differential and integral calculus. Although a few years younger, Leibniz graduated slightly earlier than Newton. He was born in 1646 in Saxony, now Germany. His father died when he was six years old, but he appears to have had a much more stable and indeed affluent background. He did well at school and entered university aged 14. This was not unusual at this time. It was while studying philosophy that he began to understand the importance of mathematical proof. But maths wasn't his first subject, and even though he published various papers containing some mathematical ideas, he eventually obtained his doctorate in law in 1667. So how did calculus come into being? Well, as I said, Newton was confined to Lincolnshire for two years. During this time, he developed a method to find the tangent and curvature of any continuous curve at a given point. In other words, differentiation. He called this method fluxions because of the idea of rates of change or flow. In order to have got to this point, he had probably been influenced by his reading of the works of John Wallace. 
Wallace was an English mathematician who had been a codebreaker for the parliamentarians during the Civil War. His work included a study as of infinite series, which seemed to be what had inspired Newton, who took these ideas further in the discovery of the binomial theorem. As well as fluxions, Newton also developed a me method called quadrature, and this is better known today as integration. Leaving calculus aside briefly, it is possibly worth mentioning that it was during this time that the episode with the apple occurred. There appeared to be two sources of this story, Newton's niece, who looked after him towards the end of his life, and astronomer royal James Bradley, who had known Newton personally. The story goes that Newton, on seeing the apple fall to the ground, realised that there must exist a force, such as gravity, to have made the apple accelerate towards the earth as it fell. And as the force must extend upward toward the top of the tree, it must also extend higher and reach the moon. Thus, the orbit of the moon must be a consequence of gravity. And this led on to Newton being able to add to the laws concerning the orbits of the pl planets that Kepler had established and was able to improve this and increase the knowledge that we had concerning orbits and, and planets. Going back to calculus, methods similar to fluxions and quadrature had been played with by Barrow, one of Newton's tutors at Cambridge. But it was Newton who first explained why these processes are inverses, and he developed what we now know to be the fundamental theorem of calculus. So after this, Newton went back to Cambridge, this was in 1667, and he continued work on calculus alongside optics and other areas of physics. He also was required to undertake some lecturing, and this had rather mixed results. His assistant at the time, Humphrey Newton, no relation to Isaac Newton, said, So few went to hear him, and fewer yet understood him. Yet oft times he did in a manner for want of hearers read to the walls. He was elected as a Fellow of the Royal Society in 1672, in conjunction with his work on light and colour, and this culminated in the construction and donation to the Society of a reflecting telescope. So what of Leibniz during this time? Well, he had been far from idle. As well as being involved in various political and religious activities, he had begun work on creating a calculating machine, and this is now known as the Step Reckoner. In 1673, he took this incomplete machine to London, where he visited the Royal Society and met the likes of Hook, Boyle and Pell. Despite rather negative comments from Hook, he was made a member of the Royal Society that later that year. It seems to be at this point that he began his study of infinitesimals, i.e. his version of the calculus, and corresponded with the Royal Society over his discoveries. There ensued a period of communication between Leibniz and Newton with a couple of letters taking a long time to reach their intended destinations. Sadly, this ended up to Newton thinking that Leibniz had stolen his ideas.
Now, Newton does not seem to have behaved well in the arguments that followed, but I do not have time to go into those in detail. And indeed, they are well documented on the internet for anyone that wants to delve further into this. Scholars agree that Newton was the first to have discovered the calculus, but that Leibniz, working independently, achieved a far better notation, and this is the one that we use today. It's worth noting that this is largely because it was Leibniz's work, rather than Newton's, that the Bernoulli brothers, Euler and others, took and developed further. Okay, I hope you found that interesting. You may be aware this is episode two of the podcast, and you might imagine that we're hoping to grow as the weeks go by. Um, So if you like what you've heard these past two weeks, I'd strongly encourage you to tell others about the podcast, and hopefully they can enjoy it as well. The web address to point people towards, and to go to yourself if you're interested in more information about the podcast, or in show notes for this week's episode with links to further information, is www.travelsinamathematicalworld.co.uk. Thank you for listening.